morning. First of all, all the children that are going to be at VBS next week, you are dismissed to go out. Um, they're going to be practicing the songs that go with VBS, so you guys are familiar with them. Looking forward to VBS kicking off next week. So any, any of the children who will be attending VBS, make your way out back. Thank you. All right, I did want to mention as well, um, just a reminder that next Sunday is baptism, so I'd, I'd ask you to pray for two things. Well, one, pray for, let's pray for Eliana. Um, this is an exciting, exciting day, um, but also pray for nice weather. I think I'd mentioned it before, but we'd love to do it outside. She'd love to have it outside, and we, um, so pray for nice weather. That'd be wonderful if we could meet outside for the actual baptism then um, next, next Sunday. All right, so those of you who are visiting this morning, we are in the middle of a series in Revelation, through Revelation, and when we started, when we started this series, if there was probably, if there was, there's two portions of it that I was sure hoping I would not have to preach on, and this is one of them. And the other one that I was hoping I wouldn't have to, I'm on next time for, so <laughs> go figure. Um, but it, it was actually, it was really good to dig in. We're going to be Revelation from chapters 8, um, first part of chapter 8, through the end of chapter 11. Um, and some of those songs that we sang this morning were so fitting, they fit in really well. I, I titled the message this morning, The Mercy of God. And as we, as we read through the text... Um, at least the first, I don't know how many times I read through it, I was like, where's mercy in this? But yet there's mercy, there's mercy found in it. And that's, there's two, two things that, that I want us to wrestle with, or that, that I wrestled with anyway with this, with this passage. And, and one, of, one of them is, is God just? We say we believe God's just, right? So, Think of that question, and then think of, is God merciful? And how do those two collide? Those two seem to almost, almost contradict each other in some ways. But God, we believe, is perfectly just, and He's perfectly merciful. So be thinking about those two things as I, as I read through this text, um, and then we'll come back and um, we'll, we'll kind of make our way down through here. Just one note, um, this goes back. To at, the, at the very start, how we're, we're reading through Revelation, there's, there's so many different perspectives. If you read 10 different commentators on Revelation, you'll get 10 different ideas, 10 different, different opinions. But we're coming at this from a perspective that the things that we're reading about have happened, they are happening, and they will happen in the future. There are some perspectives, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but that what we read from Revelation about chapters 6 on is everything that will happen, all of that stuff will happen in the future, completely in the future. Um, that is completely literal, um, but I'm getting ahead of myself now. But Revelation is, it is the perspective of life from, uh, how would you say it, from heaven's perspective. Jesus Christ came. He walked on this earth. We have scripture that tells, I mean, that we read the story of the creation, the fall, the redemption of man, and now we come to Revelation, and this is the risen Christ, the risen Savior, is in heaven. And we talked about the Lamb of God last week, the power of the Lamb. 
and the Lamb of God. And this is that perspective. We see, we see into the demonic forces, the spiritual realms, the spiritual warfare that's going on. Those are things that we see in Revelation. But one of the most powerful things we see is the risen Christ is victorious. And we as a church are invited into the mission to bring people into his kingdom. And that's where I want us to come back to then at the end. So, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 8. I want to read it from um, this Immerse series. I think it's the ES, or I'm sorry, the New Living Translation. Um, so you can follow along in your Bibles or you can just listen. And I'm going to read parts of chapter 8, all of chapter 9. We're not even going to cover chapter 10 or the first part of chapter 11 today. We're going to do chapters 8 and 9, then jump to the end of chapter 11. So listen to the word pictures that are painted for us, and then think of those two questions or those two things. Is God just and is God merciful? I saw seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Then another angel with a golden, gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire and the altar uh, from the altar and threw it down upon the earth, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down to the earth. One-third of all the earth was set on fire. One-third of the trees were burned, and all the grass was, green grass was burned. Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One-third of the water of the sea became blood, and one-third of all things living in the sea died, and one-third of all the ships were uh, the, on the sea were destroyed. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky like a burning torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness. I think ESV says wormwood. And it made one-third of the water bitter and made many people died, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars, and they became dark. And one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard the single, a single cry. I'm sorry. Then I looked, and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three blow, angels blow their trumpets. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And when he opened it, smoke poured out as though smoke from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Then, the lo then locusts came from the smoke and descended down on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or the plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. And in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but, the death, but death will flee from them. 
The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads, and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair, and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and the wings, their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. And then the four angels who had been prepared for this day and hour and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. And I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. And in my vision I saw horses and the riders sitting on them, and the riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow, and the horses had heads like lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One-third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. And here's a key verse. But the people did not die, who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent from their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. The twenty-four elders sitting on their thrones fell before God with their faces to the ground and worshipped Him, and they said, We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For, you are now, for, you, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead, to reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name. From the least to the greatest, it is time to destroy all who have caused death and destruction on the earth. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, and thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. So what do you do with that? Is God just? <clears throat> you see, the wrath, the wrath of God is being poured out in judgment in these, with these seven trumpets. And I wrestled with that. It was like, man, it's crazy. But this is something that we see, something that we see repeated three different times in Revelations is the judgments of God. So um, let, me just, let me just refresh our minds on that. Last week, last week we looked at um, the seven seals, which were a series of judgments. This week it's the seven 
trumpets, which are a series of judgments, or perhaps you could call them warnings. And then in several weeks, there's the seven bowls of wrath that are poured out. But each one of these, each one of these, there's, there's three sets of them, and they all, they all begin, they all begin kind of the same way, and then they build up and intensify as you get closer to the seventh. The seventh, by the time the seventh trumpet is blown, we're at the return of Christ. So it's, it's this, this progression of, and a, the series of intensity that begins to become heavier and heavier and heavier or more intense. And as, as God pours out this wrath, and as that wrath intensifies, that question just kept God coming back into my mind, is God just in pouring out all this wrath against the evil? And we, we get this quick answer because we know what we're supposed to say, right? Yeah, of course He's just in doing that. But I think it's something that we really need to wrestle with. And I, I thought about the, the second to last song that we sang there, is we place you on the highest place. And when we place God there, and God's in His proper perspective, I think it helps shape perspective, our perspective, to what, we're, what we just read about here. So as we read that, as we read that, did it feel to you at all like maybe God is overreacting a bit? Do you think that it might, does it, did it feel, does it feel like it's a little bit extreme, excessive, or unwarranted? And I, and I wondered and I thought about that, and then I thought too, boy, if God would be anything like us, He would have probably wiped us out a long time ago. But I want us to, be, to focus on the patience and the mercy of God today as we, as we think through this. And those verses that rain... Uh, Wayne read, um, kind of set the foundation for that. He said, it, it is patient. God is patient towards us because He doesn't want anyone to perish. And I think we see that throughout this whole, all seven of these trumpets. Lamentations 3, and 23 say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Literally, it means He keeps us from destruction. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So, so keep those things in mind. The trumpets, trumpet blasts, trumpets we hear, we read about throughout Scripture. I think we recognize that like always, like for sure in the Old Testament, we read about it a lot. Whenever a feast, the start of a feast, they would sound a trumpet. And it was a means of calling the people to attention because there's a message that's going to follow. Um, but also, it was a means of calling the people to attention because God was going to move in some miraculous and powerful way, defeating evil that was in front of him. Um, the primary example, you think we know the story about the children of Israel marching around Jericho. And every day they marched around and the trumpets were blown. And on the seventh day they marched around seven times and the walls collapsed. Um, just all those things. But the, the trumpet was always associated with a message from God or an act of God that was to follow. <clears throat> and so here we see the seven trumpets that are being blown, and then there's seven actions and a message that follows each of those. And each of those we see God intervening to defeat His en enemies. Note also, 
as we read through there, the symbolic imagery. So, here's a big debate. How much of what we just read is symbolic and how much of it is literal? That's, I say, yeah, on both. It's both. I, I, I don't know. I, I, tend to, I would tend to view it as being symbolic, um, but there's literal things. <clears throat> and as we go through and just take a brief glance at e- each of them, <clears throat> you can see the sim- symbolism, but you can also see some literal ways in which some of these things have actually happened in history. And I'll show you those in a little bit. But I think we, we would err in making all of this just strictly literal. Rather, I think it's describing through symbolic imagery of what is, is happening, has happened, and will happen. Um, for instance, in chapter 9, we read about the locusts that came up out. I think that those are simply demonic forces that are released to place torment all across the earth. I think Marcus had mentioned at the outset um, the uh, Left Behind series, the, the, the movies. I'm curious if anyone has watched those or did watch those. I watched a bunch of those. And I, I, there, there's this picture stuck in my mind from one of those two people hiding in a car and these l- huge locusts with the scorpion tails are flying around and their stingers are poking down through the roof of the car and they're trying to duck and hide from this thing. Um, is it literally that? I don't think. Um, is it possible? Yeah, probably. Some people would say this is describing tanks and helicopters and fighter jets. Maybe, but I don't think it's only that. There's a hundred different ways that we can look at it. <clears throat> and as we, as we read through pieces of Scripture like this, if you're anything like me, it's easy just to get hung up and you want to try to figure out what all these things mean, what all, what all those pieces look like. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rather, <clears throat> but li- listen to this. <clears throat> this came from, oh, I, I saw it on Facebook or Twitter. I'm not sure. But this was, a, Ben Creamer wrote this in talking about how we read pieces like this in Revelation. What we should be focusing on is preparing for Christ rather than the Antichrist. We should be centered on the mark of the Lamb rather than on the mark of the beast, and and here especially. We're centered on preparing for redeeming the earth rather than escaping it, and centered on hope rather than fear. So, pieces like this, how an unbeliever sees this should be completely different how we as Christ's children see this and relate to this. There's, there's, a, there's a big difference, a big dynamic. <clears throat> so let's not get lost in trying to figure out all the details, but let's, be, let's use this as God asking us and inviting us to join Him in His mission, because there is a mission that He is, is calling us to as a church and as individuals. So I'm gonna, we're going to take a flying trip through the seven trumpets, and I'm going to lump them together because there, there are first, the first four, I don't know if you thought about it, the first four are kind of in their own little category, category, whatever, um, and then there's a little bit of a lull, and then there's two more, another lull, and then the seventh one. So the first four, each one of those becomes an attack or it's um, destruction that is brought against creation. Did you catch that? Did you think about it? 
Each one, think, okay, let me, let me just go through you. The things that are affected by the first four trumpet blasts. And by the way, let me say this yet. The symbolism of how these things happen, or whether it's symbolism or literal or whatever, the judgment or the, the wrath of God being poured out is a literal thing. I just don't know how it's all going to look, but that is a very real thing. So let's remember that as well. But the first four things that are affected by the first four trumpet blasts are trees, grass, vegetation, sea life, fresh water, sun, moon, stars, humans, and light. The order is different, but I think there's a direct connection to Genesis chapter 1. And you see uh, one, one guy, uh, I think it was Dr. Sam Storms, he says this idea of decreation, like this attack against the creation, and, and we see we see creation um, decaying in front of our eyes. I think, I think we, we recognize that. But that idea fits well with what, and this attack against, or this judgment against all things that were created, fit well with Revelation, because Revelation climaxes with what? At the end of Revelation, God brings out a new heaven and a new earth, because this has been destroyed. So, a third of all the fresh water is turned to blood by the flaming star. That's just the, the third trumpet. Um, so there, is that, is that star that fell from heaven, is that a literal star? Is it a meteor? Um, how can one meteor affect a third of all the water? Is it symbolic of an angel that, was, that comes and brings all that, all that um, destruction? It could be referring to famine, that we already experience, all, all those different pieces. Notice also, <clears throat> with those first four trumpets, and I guess you might, if you'll need to, just go back and read through them again, because it would be almost easier just to take a deep dive into each one of them, but we just glancing over them quickly, a lot of the things, the judgments that these four trumpets bring were actually done um, by the plagues in Egypt. Think about it. Um, there's a couple of them that I'll just point out to you. The hail and the fire that was poured down, darkness, third of the, here the sun, third of the sun, the moon, the stars are struck, and they lose a third of their light. Um, there were plagues, the different plagues. Um, the Nile turned to, to blood. So parts of the rivers and the, the fresh water is destroyed. It becomes bitter. The first one, hail and fire come down and the water is affected and turned to blood. All these different, these different pieces. But the reality is, well, how all that fits together and how all that will look, I don't know. But I do know that at some point, God is and will, has, is and will, let's remember that, bring judgment and His wrath will be poured out against sin. Now, the destruction of these is pretty stinking intense if you stop and think about it. You think about a third, and the one third, the third of humans are destroyed, a third of all the fresh water is destroyed, and then we go into the next one. So let's just, let's just keep going. There's this lull where the eagle cries at the end of chapter 8, terror, 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 woe, 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 and I'll come back to that, but then we enter into something that's almost completely different. There's a shift in these trumpets from the physical creation side of things, and now it takes a shift into um, the spiritual realms, and we see 
this disturbing picture, if you will, of this swarm of locusts or demonic forces that are released from the dark pit or from the pit. And it says that the swarm of locusts in number were that of like 200 million. It says in some of our other translations, 10,000 times 10,000 twice or whatever. You do the math, it's 200 million. Is that number critical? Maybe, maybe not. But locusts always symbolized things of destruction. And when this demonic horde is released and we see the destruction of, oh, if we can just catch a glimpse of, of the world that we can't see with our physical eyes, that world that's out there, and we see the impact of that in our world, we see depressions, we see cancer, we see frustration, we see accidents, we see famine, we see wars, over and over, on and on and on. We see people with a losing sense of purpose, a sense of meaningless. They have no value and it drives people to despair. All these things come from demonic forces that bring these psychological, emotional, and physical torment that drive people to the point of, here it says, they desired death, but they couldn't die, or they wouldn't die. So the destruction, just get, get a glimpse of the destruction and the devastation that is happening, and all of this is happening because God said it's okay. They're allowed to. He releases them for it. The sixth trumpet, that was the fifth trumpet, by the way, and those, those locusts, those demonic forces, it says in verse 11, they are led by this guy named, or this angel named Apollyon, which is very likely referring to Satan himself. So then in the, fourth, the sixth trumpet, you've got this great, this great number of, um, I'm sorry, I, said, I told you the, the, the locusts were 10, 200 million. That is in this, the sixth trumpet with the, the horses, the four horses and their army that are released are 200 million strong, and they come and they destroy and they kill a third of the humans. So the destruction is great, and I, and I ask us again, as we see this, this is the wrath of God being poured out against evil, is God just? And everything that's being destroyed, is God just? Then the seventh trumpet, we're not going to spend much time on the seventh trumpet, but this, I believe, is the one that we as God's people are living for. This is, it comes... These, these, these trumpets are building up and building up, and the, the intensity of the destruction of the wrath is building up until we come to the seventh. And I think this is referring to after Christ, Christ has come. And it, it says, because Jesus, he says, he shall reign forever and ever. <clears throat> and the 24 elders fell down, they worshiped God. And I, th- I think that is the, referring to Christ's coming and the f- absolute final judgment. All right, so you've got... All those judgments, all that wrath being poured out, is there mercy in there? Do you, do you see any form of God's mercy throughout those seven trumpets that are being sounded? I read it out know how many times until I actually, all of a sudden, it clicked, and I, I, th- I think I began to see God's mercy. We see God's justice. And I come back, let me, let me come back to that idea of wrath. <clears throat> oh, we're running out of time. Um, 
Sometimes, as I read, as I read through this, and I, I, sometimes the wrath of God being poured out seems a little over the top to me. It seems pretty dramatic. And it's a difficult thing for us to grapple with, for sure with our finite minds. Could it be, when I am wrestling and I'm grappling with that, is my view of God too low and His holiness? It's tough stuff. Think of the treasonous way in which we as the people, as people who God created in His own image, and He created us to know Him and to glorify Him. And yet we have taken the good gifts that He's given us, and we have turned them into selfish acts and exploited them simply for ourselves and to try to lift ourselves up. We have dishonored the only one, the only true holy one who is worthy of honor. The more we begin to grasp the God's worth, His infinite worth, the more I think we can grasp the depth of our sin and idolatry, and we begin to see that God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful. And you see, there's two ways, there's, there's two perspectives in this, I think. It, and I, I mention it, the, the perspective of the one who does not know Christ and the perspective of the one who knows Christ. Because we, the wrath of God that we see being poured out and that incredible destruction, you see God's wrath and His hatred for sin. And think about how that kind of wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. You think this is extreme. This is just partial judgment. But the judgment and the wrath of God was fully poured out on Jesus when he came to the cross. Jesus became the primary object of God's wrath, and he became that object willingly. That's mercy for you and for me. And anyone who puts their trust in Jesus is not going to face the wrath that was just described that we just read about. Just think about that. Yeah, it says we will suffer as Christians. Let me just let me let me just turn to the God's mercy. The way I see God's mercy throughout <clears throat> throughout this text. Now take us back to that verse and remember that verse that Wayne read in Second Peter that God is not He's patient towards us and He's not willing that any should perish. So think about that as I take us through this very quickly. Every judgment that is poured out every, with these trumpets and the devastation that is, it brings, each, with each trumpet there was a third of something destroyed. Did you guys think about that? And then the question comes up, so is this third, how specific is that? Does that mean at the end of these, end of these that 33.13% percent of everything that we know is destroyed. Is that one-third really important, or is it pointing us to something else? Is it more than just a mathematical equation? I think the, the message for us is to recognize that each of these judgments is only partial. There is a coming a time when the judgments will be complete. Michael Wilcox said this, the judgments, the trumpets are not sounding doom, but rather warning. They're a warning. And isn't God's warning to a sin-stricken world, isn't that mercy? Every judgment is limited in what it does to warn the people of final judgment. 
Another warning or another act of mercy is the eagle crying with those three, those three cries of terror, terror, terror between the trumpets. It's just like, you, I, I just see, I began to see over and over and over, God is screaming out to get the attention of us and of the world, warning us of the wrath that's to come so that we don't have to suffer the eternal wrath of God separated from Him. So there's another warning. And then I'd point you to the first part of chapter 9. Here's where another place where I see the limits. There are limits to each one of these judgments. There are limits to what um, these demonic forces can do. These demonic forces that are released from the fiery or from the, the pit or the abyss, they are not permitted to kill anyone. They're, not, they're only permitted to torment, and even their torment is limited. Their torment is limited to five months, which seems like a long time maybe, but spread that in the light of eternity. They cannot touch the people of God. Did you guys catch that when we read that? That, to me, is just... that was the, In this whole section, that was the only part in my Bible that was highlighted. It's like, right there... That should totally change how you and I read and respond to these judgments, the wrath of God as it's poured out. God, these, these tormentors cannot touch the people of God. They are limited in the time they are given. Their time on earth is, or their time of torment is very short. And then I take us back to verse 20. And to me, this is probably the key verse in this whole thing. Verse 20 says, They did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping all this stuff. And then in verse 21 again, Nor did they repent of their other sins that it says. While it doesn't explicitly say that the warnings that are given with these trumpets are to stir the people to repentance, I think the implication is there. The warnings are given and with the implication... Or why else would he mention that they did not repent? Isn't that the long-suffering love and grace of God that gives warning after warning? Think of people, individuals that you might know who don't know Christ and how God, maybe they've, maybe they've come to Christ and as they look back, they see time and time and time again how God set things in place, how God put things in their lives to get their attention. We often pray that for people who are unsaved. God, get their attention. Use the means that you need to get their attention to bring them to repentance. These, this destruction that we face, that we see in our world, and think, and think of the, the families that are suffering in Texas right now in the school shooting. Can you describe that kind of evil without recognizing the demonic forces behind that? And it's like, how do we then as a church, what is our call? How do we respond to that? There's people are, people are suffering and, and feeling hopeless. What, we have something that they need. These are all things that, that God, in, in some way God is crying out, warning, 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 warning. Get your attention. I want you to repent because He is a long-suffering God. He's not willing 
that any should perish. For those of us who are placed our trust in Christ, we are the recipients of His mercy. The mercy is what God along, that mercy that you and I have received, that's the mercy and the grace that God longs to pour out on, to every person in this world, if only they will acknowledge Him as their Savior. But think of this, and this is what I want us to remember. It may very well be that you are the vessel through which God shows His love and mercy to the hurting around you. Don't wait for God to use someone else or something else. You and I are the vessels that God wants to use. <clears throat> so how, yeah, how do we as Christians respond? I'm going to bring us back to a quote. I think Marcus used it again. I had used the way back when I had taken just an overview of some stuff in Revelation. This quote by Matt Smethurst. Said God does not tell us these things, and I tweaked it and I kind of made it my own, but the, the base of it comes from him. So that we become doomsday preppers and we build these bunkers in our backyard and we hunker down while the world falls around down or falls apart around us. But he tells us these things, he shows us these pictures, so that we in turn build spread our dining room tables bigger and we invite our friends over. And we introduce them to the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. As children of God, we experience and continue to live in the mercy and the grace of God. And this should dramatically change how we interact with our world. Compassion for the love and, the lo- of, for the, and love for the lost should create in us a keen awareness that every encounter we have with another person is a divine appointment or an opportunity for us to share with them about the love and the mercy of Jesus. So that's what I want us to take away from here. God's, God is longing and crying out and wanting to spread His love and His mercy into a hurting world. We live in a hurting world. It's a mess. And we're vessels that God wants to use to spread the news of His love and His mercy. So that's what I want us to take away because one day, like we read about or talked about in Sunday school this morning, the bridegroom's coming. And for us, what a day that's going to be. But for the world who does not know him, it's going to be something completely different. And so that should change, dramatically change, how I interact with people. All right, thank you for your attention. Sorry we went a little over. Tim, I'll invite you guys to come up. You can finish, close us out with a song. Um, Stand with us. Stand with me. Let's pray.